0: I met my father-in-law, Dan Barney, 20 years ago this past June. I've always had a high degree of respect for Dan. Uh, He is the kind of guy that can figure things out, an engineer by training. Went on to go to business school and ended up leading a a manufacturing company for a a number of years, Uh, and he's the kind of guy who always had a plan. Particularly when things get difficult, Dan always has a plan, and I've watched the way that he has planned and worked that plan in the midst of difficult circumstances, and the people around him benefit. The people around him are encouraged, and in fact, they engage in the work, the difficulty before them. I have personally experienced the way he has planned and invited others into the plan and been encouraged by it. He lives in Oklahoma and has a fair amount of property, and he's what I would consider a gentleman farmer. He he doesn't do it to sustain himself. He does it because he likes the outdoors, and so he does have a big John Deere tractor. I've always been fascinated by John Deere's. I like the idea of farming, but truth be told, I have no idea what it involves. So he lets me drive his tractor in the summer, and of course, I get it hung up in the barbed wire fence. And Dan said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this post out. We're going to move it two feet this way. We're going to stretch out the barbed wire, and you're going to back it up, and it's going to work. And I said, that sounds good to me. It's going to work. He just has this way, this positivity about him to put a plan together and execute the plan. And it incites faith and encouragement and, in fact, engagement. So he and I got the tractor out of the barbed wire fence. He's a man with a plan who executes the plan and invites others in. This character trait of my father-in-law is just a tiny glimpse of a greater and perfect trait in our heavenly Father, who from before all time had a plan and has been working that plan throughout the pages of history. And that plan is a saving plan, a redemptive plan to work and to restore lost sinners, and that includes all of us, every human, lost in sin. And he's working a plan to redeem those who would trust in him. I want to explore with you that plan, that promise, that work, and our involvement in it this morning. So let's turn together as we conclude our year-long series in the book of Acts, a series we've been titled Church on Mission. Let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 28, the very end. The last two verses, you can find Acts 28 on page 938 in the Bibles we've provided on your chairs. Acts 28, page 938. And if you're here this morning and you don't own a copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one. We have stacks of Bibles in the foyer there. In the bookcase, there are hardback black Bibles. We'd love for you to take one of those. Acts chapter 28, I'll read verses 30 and 31. This is Luke, the author. He writes, He, that is Paul, lived there, that is Rome, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So, the title of this sermon is According to Plan, and the thrust of the sermon is this God's mission unfolds according to God's plan, fostering faith and engagement among God's people. God's mission unfolds according to God's plan, fostering faith and engagement among God's people. Now, this will be a summary sermon of sorts. I will unpack, make some observations of these last two verses, but you can think of this sermon as more of, a, of an overview at the end of the book, a summary sermon. So what I'm going to do first is review how all of Acts follows Jesus' initial outline in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus gives us, Beautiful invitation and promise, in fact. He says in Acts 1.8, you, my disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That, in fact, is a geographic outline of the entirety of the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about how that unfolds in the book. So I'll do a review. And then finally, I'm going to make two observations from these last two verses. Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. I want to make a couple observations that will encourage us, equip us along the way of engaging in this mission. So where do we find Paul in Acts 28, verses 30 and 31? Where is he? Locationally, where is he? He lived there. Two whole years at his own expense. The there, in verse 30, is Rome. Paul has made it to Rome safely after a long, difficult, tumultuous journey from Jerusalem. Some three plus months, lost the ship, all survived by God's grace. They finally arrive in Rome. He got there by appealing to Caesar round after round, accusation after accusation, trial after trial, in chapters 23, 24, 25, 26, it's the same story over and over again. Paul is falsely accused by the Jews. He's handed over to the Romans. Ultimately, Paul appeals to Caesar, which ended up being his ticket to Rome. That's what got him to Rome. He appeals to Caesar, as was the right of a Roman citizen, which Paul was to have your case heard presented before Caesar. So that's what gets Paul to Rome. And here at the end of the book, Luke is drawing our attention to one very important point. He ends Acts with Paul proclaiming the gospel for two whole years fearlessly with courage unhindered. The epicenter of the empire, the heart of the empire, Paul is proclaiming the gospel freely, Declaring the good news of Jesus Christ unhindered there in Rome. What is his point? Friends, this is a mini fulfillment of the words of the Lord Jesus himself in Acts 1 8. For Rome, for a resident in Jerusalem, the ancient Near East, Rome was the far boundary of the Roman Empire, the very end of the earth. So the gospel started in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, and it ends, Acts chapter 28, in Rome, the end of the earth at that time, the known end. Of the earth. As we finish the book of Acts, we find this wonderful truth the gospel progresses according to plan. Jesus said it, it happens. You can take it to the bank. Jesus always fulfills his word, what he says always comes to pass. It is according to plan. Now, let's just briefly review the course of the gospel. In Acts. This will be a review. Perhaps you're just joining us visiting Beacon Community Church. This is a review of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit descends upon Christian disciples there in Jerusalem. They begin to speak in other languages, and Jewish pilgrims from all over the Roman Empire have descended there for a high holiday and they begin to hear the glorious praises of God in their own tongue. And that day, Peter stands up and he preaches the good news of the gospel and some 3,000 of these Jewish pilgrims come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They repent of their sin and they turn to Christ in faith. The Christian church is born that day. Acts chapter 2. The witness has begun in Jerusalem. And then Acts chapters 3 through 7 These Christian disciples continue to witness in Jerusalem. We see the work of Peter and John in the temple courts, ministering to people, proclaiming the gospel, healing a lame man. That's a little illustration of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, things beginning to be made right. At the end of chapter 7, however, Stephen, an early disciple stoned to death by an angry mob of Jews, and a great persecution subsequently breaks out in Jerusalem, scattering them. Where does it scatter them? In Acts chapter 7, to Judea and Samaria. Notice we're following the words of Jesus. It started in Jerusalem. They're witnessing. Now Judea, now Samaria. Concentric circles of witness outward. They scatter. Philip ends up preaching the gospel in Samaria. Many receive salvation upon hearing him preach. Then he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch who's just celebrated a Jewish festival. He's a God-fearer from the nations but sympathetic to the ways of the Jews. He's on his way back from a festival. And Philip shares the good news. And he has believed and he baptized the gospels moving outward among Gentiles. Acts chapter 10, Peter shares the gospel with Cornelius and his whole household The gospel's breaking into enclaves of Gentiles, non-Jewish people. It's radiating outward. Acts chapter 11, there's this cultural linguistic boundary that is crossed as Christians from the Mediterranean island of Cyprus share the gospel with people who are Greek speakers in Antioch, a city in what is now southeast Turkey. They share the gospel and they come to believe a a cultural boundary has been crossed. The disciples are first called Christians there in that multi-ethnic gathering in Antioch. And then the church in Antioch, Acts chapter 13, commissions Paul and Barnabas to go and preach and plant churches throughout the Roman Empire westward, moving towards Rome. And the rest of the book of Acts, Acts 14 through 27, Paul and company preach Christ, plant churches as he makes one journey after another. And even as he's appealed to Caesar, his voyage... All the way to Rome, it's a missionary journey. He is sharing the gospel with the people that he encounters. And then, the climax, Acts chapter 28, Paul's in Roman custody, there in Rome, proclaiming the gospel two years unhindered. What has happened? Friends, the words of Jesus have been fulfilled. And you see it as you just read all 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Jesus' word always comes to pass always can be trusted. The gospel has progressed according to plan. Think about the fulfillment of the word of the Lord. Think about his trustworthiness, his faithfulness. What does it incite in our hearts? Faith, courage. We're a part of a work that cannot be stopped. Yes, there will be difficulties, but we're a part of a work. And the Lord knows the end from the beginning. He's in fact given us, uh, pulled back the curtain, allowed us to see that he wins in the end. His mission can't be stopped. That elicits courage and engagement in us, his followers. We are serving in a mission that cannot be stopped. Let that encourage you and help you, empower you to engage all the more. Now, these last two verses in chapter 28, let's consider them briefly. Luke tells us Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Two instructive observations. We'll go through these briefly. Number one, the role of hospitality. And number two, the priority of proclamation. The role of hospitality and the priority of proclamation first the role of hospitality. Notice what Luke is careful to tell us. Verse 30, Paul welcomed all who came to him. Paul was on house arrest, likely chained to a Roman soldier who stood watch over him. He couldn't go out and about himself. He couldn't visit the synagogue or the marketplace. He had to welcome people into his own home, which he paid for, perhaps rented from a, a brother or sister in the church in Rome who owned a guest house or some kind of lodging. He's paying rent there. He's welcoming people in daily, and he's sharing the good news of the gospel with them. Friends, hospitality is the arena for gospel transformation. Hospitality, your home, your meal table, is the arena for gospel transformation in people's lives. We all have some means of hospitality, some table, some shelter invite people in and share. Tim Chester has written a very helpful book called A Meal with Jesus, subtitled Discovering Grace, Community, and Mission Around the Table. And what Tim Chester basically does is trace Jesus' ministry in the gospel and the role of hospitality, how he used meals, invitations, tables to do ministry, inviting people in, Sharing the gospel, transforming lives. Do you realize the power of hospitality in your own life? Sometimes I fear that we think that we have little resources, little contribution. All of us friends have tables, have some kind of homes. They don't have to be elaborate. Invite people in. Leverage what you have. Use the gift of hospitality. Bless people and share Christ with people as they open up to you. The home, the table is a wonderful tool for ministry. While on house arrest, Paul simply is taking a page out of Jesus' playbook. He's opening his home and his table and doing ministry over the table. And then he goes on to write a letter to the church in Rome. And notice what he says about hospitality. Notice what he grounds hospitality in. Romans 15, verse 7. Paul encourages Christians then and now with this. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. What is the power supply, the motivation, the driving force for our hospitality? We welcome others into our lives because Christ has welcomed us into his life estranged from him because of our sin he welcomes us in and adopts us as his family friend there is no person who's too far gone so long as they have a beating heart breath in their lungs there's no no barrier too big welcome people and be motivated by the fact that christ has welcomed you if you're a christian he's welcomed you we were estranged from him dead in our sin and by his Grace, working through the good news of the gospel, he invites us by faith to trust in his death and resurrection, be forgiven and adopted into his family. It is life-changing forever. That gospel is the power supply for our hospitality exercised. The role of hospitality, number two, the priority of proclamation. What did Paul do as people gathered in his rented apartment? He proclaimed the gospel. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, Luke tells us, which is God's right reign in sinful human hearts. He invites us into his kingdom by faith and repentance. God's right reign in human beings. That is the kingdom of God. And then he taught them the truths of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's ministry was a spoken one. Paul's work was word work proclamation. Yes, through his ministry, he did gospel deeds. He healed people. He cast out demons. He he served physical, tangible needs. But Paul, like Jesus, prioritized proclamation because in God's infinite wisdom, he's chosen words to do the work in the heart. He prioritizes proclamation. Good deeds, mercy ministries, Serving physical, tangible is a wonderful thing. It's, in fact, an illustration of the gospel, but it's not a replacement for the spoken gospel. Jesus, in fact, does this in his earthly ministry. He has healed a whole host of people in Peter's home. The Sabbath is over. People now can go out and about and walk, and they bring all People with maladies, they come to him, and he's healing them one after the other, casting out demons, healing the lame, the deaf, the mute. And then the next day, he rises very early before anybody else gets up. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 38. While it was still dark, he departed, and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to Jesus, Everyone's looking for you. Why are they looking for him? Because more people need to be healed. The line is growing longer, and Jesus is out praying? What? This is what Jesus says. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came. As important as healing and those mercy ministries were, they were not sufficient. He is prioritizing preaching, the preaching of the gospel because it is that gospel spoken out, heard and responded to by faith and repentance that brings somebody into the kingdom of God. Those healings, they were little illustrations of the inbreaking of the kingdom. Every, every time a lame person was healed, could walk, or blind eyes restored to sight, it was a picture of wrong things being righted, which will happen when the kingdom is finally consummated. But what gets somebody into the kingdom in the first place is responding to that spoken word, hearing that proclamation. So Paul prioritized proclamation. Yes, we need to show the gospel serve people sacrificially, pass out granola bars at the alewife station. We'll hear more about that in a moment. Tangible, kind, thoughtful deeds, but they've got to be accompanied with the spoken word of the gospel. Hospitality is, is all about service, meeting physical needs, but it can't end there. It can't end just with dinner at the table. We've got to pray for opportunities to share Christ with those who are at our table. Paul prioritized proclamation. Proclamation is God's appointed instrument for salvation. We've come to the end of our study in the book of Acts, and here's what we conclude. God's mission unfolds according to God's plan, and it fosters faith and engagement among God's people. God's unstoppable plan fosters our faith and engagement in the plan. Paul's proclamation in Rome was just a mini-fulfillment of Jesus' words in 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Rome was the known end of the earth at that time. We know, friends, on this side, that that's not the end of the earth. In fact, the end of the earth involves peoples, people groups, who have little to no access to the gospel. So this work is unfinished. The gospel still has Room has progression to make among some 7,000 unreached people groups. Little to no access to the gospel won't have it unless somebody intentionally crosses cultural barriers of some kind to share the gospel there. We need to be about that work of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth among the unreached people groups of the world. We're about that work through going ourselves short and long-term basis, by giving of our resources, by praying fervently for these people and these partners. And friends, what better way to end this series, year-long series, in God's infinite providence brings one of our mission partners on August 28th to share with us. And so I'd like to invite Gregory King up to share with us an update of ministry in Vienna, Austria, and to hear opportunities we have to pray for him, to partner with him. I'll pray, and then Gregory's going to come forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege that it is to be participants in your redemptive plan. Lord, you don't need us, but you delight to use us. Because weak as we are, when we engage, your power is manifested all the more. Because it's only you working in and through us as weak vessels. I thank you for the privilege to study your word, to unpack the book of Acts over this last calendar year. We're grateful, Lord, for the privilege of having your word and to be able to freely study it and preach it in this country. God, we pray that you would move us, drive us forward to the ends of the earth among unreached people groups so that they can hear the glorious gospel proclaimed in their language and come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.